0: Let me take a moment and say something that I hope will uh, encourage you. This is year number 11. I just sent to the press notes for year 12 for a daily devotion with uh, Thomas Nelson, the largest Bible publisher in the world. And so um, it's a compilation of a lot of pastors that join with me in doing daily devotions. And so it's... uh, It's cool. My claim to fame is for three months, I was the number one seller in Walmart and Sam's. And somebody said, why would you share that? Because I'm praising God that I'm getting some of my wife's investment back. Uh, (laughs) Gracious. It's killing me. And then the most uh, requested book I've ever written in my life is Demolishing Strongholds, Dealing with Men for the Last 28 Years of My Men's Conferences. The number one request to the publisher is wish there was a workbook. So I didn't bring any with me, but I did Unspoken. That's the one uh, focused on the families asked me to come and do a, a something. I think June 2nd, if it works. So with the new book, I did do a study guide. So if you Google Unspoken Johnny Hunt, you'll see. And there's a workbook that's extensive if you're teaching men. And this book hits the market uh, and even Amazon uh, February the 12th but I was able to get early copies and it's the most theological book I've ever written on the Christian life and uh, growing and uh, what it means to be anchored in Christ holding on to truth in a um, drifting world and FYI and, and by the way in books is uh, goes to a missions account I don't take a salary out of it of a church And now North American Mission Board pays my salary, so we don't have to do that. So we've been able to be very generous to church planning and missions and poverty. But anyway, that's another thing. And then um, we just moved to thumb drives on preaching. So uh, they wanted to do something as I walked at Woodstock recently. So they did the preaching ministry of Johnny Hunt, put 104 sermons of recent days in the first sermon I ever preached at Woodstock. Uh, on a thumb drive, and so it's so much cheaper. So uh, you can check it, the table, I mean, it's all reduced, but now here's the part I want you to hear. Uh, God's greatly blessed me. Uh, I'm grateful that Jesus has allowed me to have people around me that want to make resources out there to help in the kingdom. Uh, In light of this fact, listen to this, latest, you can Google it and find it's true, 85% of the American men that graduated from high school, once they graduate, never read a book from the first page to the last. 85%. You're going to be better than other men if you read. And I'm going to go a step further. I never had a desire to be better than anyone, but I do want to be the best I can be. I'm going to read. Reading is not a love for me. It's a discipline, and you'll never catch me without a book. So I constantly read. I even have disciplines in my life of even in in writing projects. I'm in a writing project now, but I'm still going to read a minimum of a great book outside of all my other research every month if I have to stay up all night to finish it. (laughs) All right. So uh, I just do that. Now, let's just say you're without a job right now or don't have extra resources, but you think you could be blessed by any of this. Uh, I'll give it to you all right now if you can't afford it and you take it I'll see you at the judgment seat of Christ all right so anyway just I was just making sure you're listening so that's where my smart aleck remarks come from but uh anyway you uh you you'll be you'll like that all right there it is uh I want to talk to you about the conscience the conscience and um well, I'd encourage you to make some notes. I'm going to just give you defining statements. And every statement that I, that I give you is going to be lifted from the pages of sacred scripture. So this isn't going to be my opinion. When, when I was writing this sermon, I, here's what I entitled it. The conscience, our divine alarm system. We have an alarm system at our house. You probably do. You try to put your code in. And if there is um, a malfunction, uh, a window door, or something opened anywhere, it, it won't take. It, it doesn't work. You, but it'll tell you where. It'll say basement door. You go down, sure enough, it's jarred or something or a window. And you've got to adjust that. And then you can set your alarm. may even have to call your security people to come and fix it. Sort of the same thing happens in our life. We, there's times that our conscience will tell us that um, something's not right. So I'm going to show you uh, biblically, theologically from the uh, writings of the New Testament and even the original language, just simply to give the definition. And I'm even going to take you to old Noah Webster. And uh, Webster was a professing Christian. And show you what he says about a conscience. So in these first few words that I'm going to share. It's going to be the groundwork and the foundation upon which I build. For you to have a better understanding of the conscience. And so with that being said. Webster defined the word conscience which is a Latin word. An awareness of right and wrong. This is so good. With a compulsion to do right. Here's what he believes. He believes that God... His sovereignly place within the human, and I'm going to go a step further. Somebody wrote me recently and said, do you believe the conscience is just like part of the mind, something gotten still, think it's part of the soul? Well, I will tell you this. I believe people in hell have a conscience. I know that in hell we have a record in Luke 16 that Abraham said to a man that died and went to hell, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime. And so in his, he was consciously aware of something he would have known. And even then he went into detail to tell him, to remind him of what he had done. Randy Alcorn said, five seconds after you die, you'll know exactly how you should have lived. It's a strong word. So an awareness of right and wrong with the compulsion to do right? Um, I have a lot of help. I had young preachers stand in my home this week for a conference we hosted. I wanted to uh, speak into the life of two young men that had meant a lot to me. And so they wanted to go down and see a library that I put in my basement as I left the church. And one of my favorite books, is, is, and anybody can use this, is English and Greek, and it just sort of puts them together, and it's uh, called Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. It's an inexpensive book, and it'll deal with every single word in the New Testament. He said that conscience is a compound word. means it's two words put together. It's with the word, the preposition with, to the words to know. He said it's a co-knowledge with oneself. He said it's the witness born to one's conduct by the conscience. I don't know about you, I'm... Up on a Sunday morning, and I go earlier to church than my wife because of multiple services, and she meets me later. And let's just say, for some reason, she says something, I say something, and the relationship goes ajar. And I, I'm a smart aleck. I don't know if you've ever been smart aleck. That's uh, Greek, means you a wise mouth, whatever you know. So, and so, uh, I'm in my car and I'm on my way to church, and my conscience bothering me and now I've got a decision to make so only Jesus knows how many times I've called and said Janet uh, God convicted me I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you please forgive me and she says I love you and I forgive you and then I sing three stanzas of what a friend we have in Jesus all right it's that faculty By which we apprehend the will of God. God works and speaks into your conscience. Somebody says, I feel like God's been speaking uh, to me. Uh, The conscience, this is so good, is designed to serve as a goad and a governor. But not a guide. Just let your conscience be your guide. That's unbiblical. And I'm going to show you why as we walk through this lesson. So, the conscience does not set the standard. It applies the standard. The standard is not your conscience, it's the Word of God. Don't let conscience be your God, let the Bible be your God. Now, here's the best statement I have to give you the conscience may be compared to a window that lets in light. God's law is the light. And the cleaner the window, the more the light shines in. What is it about a service? One person's listening and they're having a spell. Good night. Feeding you faster than you can take it in. Others are sitting there thinking, I don't get it. I could be... um, intimidated and think, wow, they're not paying very good attention. I must not be communicating well. It could be that you've got a dirty window. I've finished church and I get a call later in the afternoon. and Somebody says, hey, I just thought you want to know. I went by Longhorn for lunch today and well, I saw this family sitting across the way and I thought, you know, they, I don't think I've seen them at church in a long time. And so they go over and say, hey, good to see you. Oh, oh by the way, are you, are you even still attending Woodstock? No, we, we don't go there anymore. Where are you going now? Are we Visiting around. And by the way, I can translate that for you. Um, <clears throat> well, man, we wish you'd come back. No, no, I doubt I'm going to go back, I don't know, that uh, pastor just don't feed me. Uh, I have a Greek word I like to use there, hogwash. If you don't know Greek, maybe Hebrew, baloney. I'll tell you, I feel like God's given me as much to say. Somebody asked me the other day, I was teaching, preaching on one of our seminary campuses, and they said on the average Sunday, how long did it, just say last week, how long did it take you to prepare your sermon?" And I said, 43 years, I took everything I've learned, everything I've studied, all the research I've ever done, I bring it to the table every time. So um, it may not connect at the same level, but I'll guarantee you this, I'm not boring I'm serious. I'm, somebody said, you, you're crazy. Somebody, one guy last night told me, he said, you remind me of Bonnie, Barney Fife. I've never heard that before. Never. I thought, okay, I'll take it. And I can't wait to tell my wife. I, lo- I love it. I really do. And I receive it, whatever that means. So I told him, I said, well, if you'll give me one more session, I'll nip it in the bud, brother. So... Uh, So my conscience is a governor or a guide. A governor, a governor slows you down, right? You've been in a golf cart lately? I can drive a golf cart a lot better than I can drive a ball. And you speed up and then that governor kicks in. You moved lately and rented a truck. You're smoking. You finally get a heel and you're going to make up some time until the governor kicks in. God has placed a supernatural governor in our life. There's times we think about doing something. Get angry at somebody, and you think, and you're later thinking, boy, thank God I didn't say it, because words can't be retrieved, and deeds can't be undone. And goad is a New Testament word. In Acts chapter 9, when the Holy Spirit was dealing with Paul, the word for convict there, and this is what convict means, it means God goads you. What does it mean to be goaded? It's a long wooden stick and on the end it's this metal tip and a farmer used it with his ox and if the ox wasn't moving, he goaded him. And there are times we come to church and we might be uncomfortable because God, the Holy Spirit, takes the man of God and the Word of God and goads you. Fellow says, I'm not going back to hear him again. Well, why not? I don't know. Every time I go hear him, I feel guilty. You are. I'd rather go hear someone that tells me the truth and I can know the truth about who I am than somebody that would put a false label on me and not be the prescription that I need to spend eternity with the God who made provision for me. Fellow said, I just, I feel like his ministry is, it is sort of condemning. The Bible says he that believeth not is condemned already. If the preacher makes the person feel like what he is, that is biblical preaching. I refuse to apologize or to compromise. Now, it helps for me to have security. (laughs) Vines goes on to distinguish the conscience and define it. As that process of thought which distinguishes what is considered morally good or bad. Commending the good, condemning the bad. And so prompting to do the former and avoid the latter. So God has placed something in me. There is is a divine mechanism in my soul that helps me to know right from wrong. What is it about a child? you, You parents, dads that have little ones and uh, your little boy, little girl, finally, can, you've wanted them to walk so bad until they started walking. But anyway, they pull up on the table and, and you've told them, do not touch this, do not touch this. And they reach for it, but just before they touch it, they look back and get eye contact with you. Conscience. The conscience is not an infallible guide and it acts according to the light that it has. So as I study my Bible every morning as I did this morning, that light instructs my conscience. Paul would say this about the conscience. In Romans 9:1, I tell you the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience also bearing me witness in the holy spirit. In In Romans 8, 16, the Bible says the spirit of God bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. So the conscience of God coincides with the spirit of God in man. So one last statement and I dive in. The conscience is a God-implanted knowledge of right and wrong within our hearts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the words that the Bible uses to define the conscience and talk briefly about each. Number one, and this is the one I want. I want a good conscience. So let's talk about the good conscience. Acts 24, 16. This being so, I myself also always strive... To have a conscience without offense toward God and man. And this is where you got to be careful. And my Christian witness, somebody says, I don't care what people think about me. God knows that's unbiblical. The Bible says that you shouldn't even ordain a deacon in the church that does not have a testimony that's right toward God and toward those that are outside. I would like to think that if a drunkard passed the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, he would look at his wife, hopefully she's driving, because he's drunk. And he says this, I'm not much on church, but if I ever go to church, I want to go hear a man like that. The outside pagan world ought to still have some point of admiration for you as the man of God we talked about last night. Now, Think with this for a moment. This is really glorious gospel truth. For Paul to say that he had a conscience that was really uh, without offense toward God and man. His conscience had undoubtedly acquitted him of his early days and past life. Now, pastor, look with me at this truth. How could I stand and preach to you about a good conscience when I have offended in the past? Because God has redeemed my past. How many of you thank God that through Jesus you can get past your past? Hey, aren't you glad that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror? Acts 23.1 Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us. We are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. 1 Timothy 1, 5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and a sincere faith. So God created man with a conscience as his self-judging faculty. I'll tell you a text that this makes sense to me in. Not a man in here that hadn't been in a Lord's Supper before 1 Hebr- first corinthians 11 when the bible speaks of the lord's supper it says that you ought to examine yourself before you take of it and that if you judge yourself you will not be judged of god how do you judge yourself your conscience oh god if there's anything in me that is displeasing in jesus name may the searchlight of heaven um uh, Point it out in my life so I can confess it and get right with you. And you sit there for a while and God will show you. And you'll judge that which, which is within you. Confess it to Almighty God. And the Bible says you'll not be judged of God. Here's another way to put it. Any sin you cover, God uncovers. Any sin you uncover, God covers. Proverbs 28, 13 He who covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses his sin and forsakes his sin shall find mercy. It means that that sin, when you bring it to God, that God will not judge it to the extent of its worth. If God were to mark iniquity, who could stand? Now, let me give you one of my favorite passages as far as a warning to my heart. In First 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul said to Timothy, Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected, you rejected a good conscience, concerning the faith and you suffered shipwreck. Wow. What he's saying is that um, I, I'm sailing along the life sea and it's smooth waters. But if I begin to live disobedient and not listen to this Self judging faculty that God has placed within me, I can suffer shipwreck. So here's a statement a good conscience serves as a rudder that steers the believer through the rocks and reefs of sin. I want a good conscience. Now, I'm going to change gears. The Bible refers to a good conscience. I just gave you several references. Number two, the Bible refers to a weak conscience. A weak conscience. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8, 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren, in other words, we sin against each other, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. It means that as a Christian... I've been in the journey a long time. Now, I will join the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 and tell you that there is room for further development in my life. In this life, I will never reach what I am to be striving for, however I am to strive for it. I am to strive for the ultimate maturity, which will not become a reality until I lay down this tabernacle and put on a new house. Facts, that's biblical sound theology. But there is a call in scripture. This is a good word. There's a call in scripture to be sensitive to your conscience and the conscience of others. I want to live in such a way that I don't cause any of you that are younger and weaker and and you're just starting to develop. You don't sort of understand some stuff. I don't want to do anything that would cause you to stumble. So I want to live for him and and for them. When you come to church, I'm there to glorify God, but I like to honor the body of Christ with the word of God. Now, what's going on in this text? And you're going to recognize it as I develop this story. The conscience of some newer converts were still accusing them strongly with regards to allowing them to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols without feeling spiritually corrupted and guilty. <clears throat> Truett Kathy, being in the Atlanta market, I've had the privilege of knowing him before he went to be with the Lord. We used to travel and speak together. He's been to our church many a times. And I've eaten a many of his sandwiches. <laughs> and then I know Bubba and Dan. And Bubba in particular is a close friend, and Dan and I, Know each other. Just say all that to say this. Uh, after Mr. Cathy heard my testimony, he said, you know, Johnny at Windshape, where he brings all those students, he said, I've got billiard tables. But after hearing your story, I think I should take them out. And I said, no, sir, there, there's nothing wrong with billiard. Matter of fact, up until a year ago, I had a, a, a regulation table that the world championship games were played on. I purchased it after they... Played the tournaments. They said, "We'll put new felt and send it to you." I said, "Nope. If they don't tear the felt, send it with the felt they played on." So that's my playing the fame. So I have that table, and I said, "It's not the table. It's where I went to play." And the people I associated with. So I left the pool room when I got converted. I surrendered. I did a podcast this morning with your pastor. And told the story of how I not only left the pool room. But then went back to the pool room. And led the owner to faith in Jesus Christ. And he closed it down. The one I went to in the day I was in. It was sort of a hell hole. Um, in fact, here's what you do. I managed it. so And I googled this the other day. Because I wondered if it was still true. If a woman came into our pool room, which was very unlikely because it was a pretty rough place of fighting and cussing and swearing and gambling and drinking. And so um, if a lady walked in and I'm the manager, I was to holler, and this is still true, red board, red board. It means woman in the house, clean it up. Uh, So that's when I got converted, I felt I needed to red board out of there. And so I came out, Um, and then if I knew of Christians, I'm new, now stay with me for a moment, this is good, I'm glad I came so I could hear this. (laughs) So bottom line is, I got to the point where I was somewhat a little judgmental, I think, gosh, so-and-so claims he's a Christian, and he's still going up there, and and, and y'all hang with me. And, And gosh, I went to a little party the other night, and so-and-so, he, he's a deacon at our church, and boy, he drank several glasses of whiskey, and he, man, it was really causing me, I was a new convert, and so and may say, that guy's just more mature, that's his liberty, he can do what he wants to. Is that right? Well, let me ask you this. Would it shed any light on this subject if Paul told you what he did? Uh, by the way, meat offered out. What does that mean? All right, it means you could go into the city of Corinth, and I've been to Corinth. It's a pagan. It was a Greek city, Gentiles. And uh, Paul goes in, and so there were people at, at this temple, godless temples. They prostitute uh, relationships on the altars in these pagan temples. Well, one thing they would do—they still offer sacrifices to God. And the meat that was left over that they didn't sacrifice, they had a meat market, and they would sell it at a reduced rate. I was worried bought if I was a pagan, I'd go buy me some pagan meat, amen? Get me some T-bone cheaper. But when they got saved, these young converts thought, man, I'm just so clean. I'm not into that pagan worship. I don't go to that temple anymore. I don't feel right buying their meat. You could argue as a mature believer. Stay with me now. You could argue as a mature believer. Well, no, I don't even exist, and you can save money. Give the money to the church that you save. But let's listen to Paul's response. I read 1 Corinthians 8, 12, so he responds pretty quickly to what he says. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, you know, buying that meat down there makes him stumble. I will never eat meat again. Where are the spirit-filled men of God that live not only to the honor of Jesus, but to help the body of Christ and to live as a biblical example that lives high Jesus, a life of integrity and character that's not questionable. He said, I won't ever eat it again, lest. And by the way, here's a good word, L-E-S-T. You'll never find it in your Bible that it's not a warning. It's, the, the word itself is a warning. Anywhere it's found, Old Testament, New Testament, never is it in your Bible. Anytime you're reading your Bible, circle lest, check it out. So he's saying like this, and so I warn you, I will not eat because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. So I'm living my life now. So I don't help others stumble. Wow. So there's what now? A good conscience before God and others. Um, There's a weak conscience that I'm going to weigh what I did. In light of if you become aware of it. It won't cause you as a new believer to stumble. Number three. A convicting conscience. That's an interesting word. You, what do you, mean? you mean God can convict me and my conscience? What the Bible says. Listen to John 8, 9. And let me tell you what I like about these stories. They become even more familiar the further I go. If you've been in Bible study before, I bet you've heard this story. Let me share. John 8, 9. Then those who heard it being, here it is, convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. You know the story, right? The woman's taken in adultery. The Pharisees bring her to Jesus. I did a study a couple of Sundays. Remember I told you i do a study every summer? I did a study on the times people tried to uh, uh, get Jesus in a, in a uh, sort of a, a situation where they could say, Aha, there's a compromise in your life. You, there, you're, uh, you're, there's a double standard in your life. So, what they did, they went to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, this lady, she was taken in the very act of adultery. Um, we know what the law says, but what say ye, teacher? I like that story. I really like it. Um, first thing, I've got a question. If she's caught in the act, where's the man? <laughs> by the way, you may not like that, but if your wife was here right now, I'd have, Got some friends. But then I want to answer something that I've studied. Um, Who do you think you are to demand an answer from Jesus? I'm going to put it another way. He don't have to answer you. (laughs) Who do you think you are? You're You're the clay. He's the potter sovereign God. You're dust. So I like this. He didn't answer them. I, I love that. Uh, you, that doesn't happen up here in Iowa down in Georgia where I'm from I got some men think they tell me what to do. I mean just right out rude like I'm walking in the prayer room to meet the deacons the other day. I can still see him. His name's David. He's a nice guy. Hey. All right. I was hoping I'd run into you. Come here. I got a bone to pick with you. Why? Well, I come out of the pool room. Uh, I'm not tough. Somebody says, you can't be too tough. You're not that big. Well, don't underestimate me. I'm wound tight. All right. So anyway, <laughs> bo- bottom line is... Uh, I looked at him and, and with cordial Christianity and kindness. I said, David, uh, maybe I've never told you. I don't want pick bones before I preach. See me after the service and went on into the prayer meeting. So I said, Oh, I'd be afraid to do that. No, the repercussions, no, no repercussions. Nothing can touch me save it's filtered through the grace of Jesus. You can't touch me. I belong to God. No, man, I'm not being ugly. But you may say, why would you have not talked to him? Because he'd have probably ticked me off. That's a Greek word. And uh, he'd have ticked me off. And I'm getting ready to preach the gospel to thousands. I'm on kingdom sat to 60% of the world's population. I preach four times a day, five days a week in Tehran. I would have been so much in the flesh I would have preached and they'd say I was on fire, but it would have been a different kind of fire. So, and, and so, what are you trying to say? I know me. So, I wouldn't do it. Well, what did he say after the service? He didn't come see me. What's he said since then? He ain't been to see me. Must have not troubled him too much. Then again, could it have been? Just could it have been? A ploy of the enemy? This food for thought, so. I just thought I said it, so when they said, uh, which one? So, so what, listen to what Jesus did. The Bible says he knelt down and began to write in the sand. Now, I love this. People will come up and tell me, if, if you'd like to, I'll listen. I'll tell you what he wrote. Well, nobody knows. But I have a sanctified imagination, so I want to spe- <laughs> speculate. He looked up there and he thought, uh, there's the head um, honcho of the Pharisees. His name's... Uh, Jethro. Jethro. How about the woman you're flirting with, the thoughts you're having for the future with her? The Bible says, beginning with the oldest, and by the way, that's where it ought to be, the elders, you begin to hear the rocks hit the ground from the greatest to the least. And then the woman is sitting there and Jesus said, "Uh, Ma'am, by the way, he's the one that can ask the questions. Where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Jesus, hallelujah for Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Don't just stop there. Go and quit this whoring around. Stop! Stop! Why they brought you here? And she left. Have you ever had somebody to correct you? But before they corrected you, the Lord had already been dealing with you. And they say, "Hey, I, I noticed what, how you just responded, and that's that's not a good way to respond." And yet, your conscience had already... Can, what does conviction mean? Expose. So That's what happens when you're a pastor. You bring a friend tomorrow. He preaches the gospel. The gospel uh, is married to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. They always say the same thing. and They expose people's needs for Jesus. Then quickly, two more. Let me give them to you right quick. A defiled conscience. Titus 1.15. So, there's the good conscience, there's the weak conscience, there's a convicting conscience, but there's defiled conscience. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled, it's an interesting word, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But when their minds and conscience are defiled, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified to every work. Um, the word defiled is the same word where we translate corruption in the New Testament. So it speaks of the corruption of the conscience. Is it possible to sow sin against the probing of the conscience until it becomes defiled? Uh, this is another word. And I looked it up this morning in um, Hebrews 12 uh, where defiled is used there. And it says that bitterness will cause you to become defiled. And so listen to this, my favorite translation, die, D-Y-E, die. Uh, Now remember I said that the conscience is like a window and the Bible is light. And the cleaner the conscience, right? The greater the light can shine in. Adrian Rogers used to say to me, God will give you light. As you obey the light, God will increase the light. But if you reject the light, your life can become dark. So now here's a window through which to light. So you're coming to church tomorrow. And let's just say the pastor is, he's confessed up. He is filled with the Spirit of God. And he comes, I mean, the touch of God, the anointing of the Spirit of God. And he is forthright. I mean, the word is ringing true. But it's not having any effect over you. It's not that he's not proclaiming. It's not he's not transmitting. You're not receiving. It would be like in the old days. Got to throw something at it for my buds. In the old days, it would be you've got a television, but you don't have any rabbit ears. So explain that to your son when you leave, please. Okay, that's like listening to the History Channel. And the reason they can't receive it, the window is corrupted, die. I was on a plane not long ago, and I, I use inexpensive things. I, I led a jeweler to the Lord. He sells high-end watches and all kind of diamonds, and he high-end pins. and not this. And he, he, he'll give me a really nice pen. I pray for him every day. God so used him. His name's Greg Mawson. I told him one time, I said, Greg, don't, don't give me another pen, please. And he said, what do you mean not give you one? I love you. I, you know, it's my business. I can certainly afford to. And I said, I feel so bad. I don't know how, but I lose them. I think I let men at the church use it. Uh, when I, you know, sign the, the book, uh, and then they want to write a check and they keep it. But anyway, I'm just kidding. And, um, so, so what I do now, I just carry uniballs. I just and they've gotten better, but in the early days, and I hardly ever have a pocket anymore, but I had a shirt with a pocket, and I was writing, so I had it in my pocket. And I didn't notice it, and uh, I'm on my way to preach, and I'm leaving after preach to come back, so it's the only clothes I have. And a lady comes, and she's the flight attendant, and she's serving us our beverage, and she said, Oh, no. And I said, What? Well, and I looked down, and the pen's still in my pocket, and the uh, altitude has, the pressure of the cabin has caused my pen to burst. Big black spot right there. I mean it's wet as all get out. I take the pen out and she drops it in her trash and oh my good night she don't you worry about it. Seltzer water, take it out. I said, really? i will be right back. She came back with a cloth and some seltzer water. Sure enough started scrubbing that thing and it started getting lighter and I kept scrubbing and when I finished this whole side of my shirt was gray. That's what happens uh, when your mind is corrupted and you no longer listen to the probing of the Spirit of God. And then you go to Longhorn instead of church. And when the people ask you why you aren't going, you say, oh, I don't know, I just haven't, I haven't been getting fed down there. And it kind of ticks me off. And, uh, uh, but, and, and by the way, why, why couldn't they say I quit going because I don't like the music? Why was it always the preacher? I mean, good enough. <laughs> It leads to a major problem with being discerning. And so, so look at me for just a moment. Hey, Pastor Johnny, my son used to be active in church. My daughter was there every Sunday. She studied the Bible, went on mission trips, sang in the children's choir. And she's gone off to college. I don't know what we're going to do. She informed us the other day that she's going to marry her girlfriend. Pastor, how, how did she get there? The conscience. She went there and she knew it was wrong but she got under some liberal professor and he's got a PhD from Cambridge and he's got to be smarter than us. The Bible says in Psalms 119 that the word of God will make you smarter than your teachers and smarter than your enemy and you've got an enemy. So you begin to think, gosh, I must be wrong. They must be right. And then you go see the professor and he begins to say, you came out of one of the evangelical churches, heaven, hell, gotta be saved, pastor kind of passionate, raises his voice, veins pop, you there and there. And that's just, he's kind of scare factor. He's not in touch with the times. He's archaic. He's a dinosaur. And so we're just not in touch with the times. But that girl allowed her conscience to become corrupted. I I don't, I know what y'all taught me. I don't agree with that anymore. Mm -hmm. But the Word of God didn't change. The Bible's not archaic, it's the eternal, listen to me, it's the eternal Word of God. He's exalted His Word above His name. Wow, that is a mouthful. So the standard is God's word. One last and then I'll wrap it up. Do our breakouts. Number five, a seared conscience. Now we've got a good conscience, weak, convicted, defiled. We've allowed ours to get corrupted. We've sinned against the probing instead of what God's been showing us is wrong. And deep down inside, they know what's wrong, but uh, they decide to ignore the probing. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep telling the truth. One family, since their daughter was going to marry her girlfriend, decided to leave our church, came to see me and said this. Since you stand against homosexuality and Marriage, And just for the record's sake, if, you can go to johnnyhunt.com and find in this. But uh, I put out a website um, a f- few years ago, maybe three years ago, and, and just said to the general populace out there around the world, tell me what you wish I would biblically address. And I'm going to take the top three and research it and do it. Number one, number one, three years ago, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? exegete, take us and keep us in the word of God and what does the Bible, and that that part of that slash in same-sex marriage. In other words, now stay with me, it's easier to preach it when the people are asking you, please man of God, is there a word from the Lord? That's what the Bible teaches in the Old Testament. They would go to the men of God, the prophets, and say is there a word from God? So I spoke. Number two number two, what does the Bible say? About Christians drinking alcohol. I didn't come up with a list.
1: Thousands
0: of people came to the website. Number three. What does the Bible say about pornography? And so I entitled the series. Questions answered. And I mean we had crowds. And our viewer listening on the web went outrageous people really want to know but the couple said since you stand where you stand uh, we're going to leave and by the way let me say something in case the way I'm saying it's a little offensive that's not my desire and passion but Chick-fil-A got in trouble a couple years ago not because they said something against same sex marriage but because they embraced biblical marriage think things have changed. the culture has changed. you hadn't got to be against you can be lambblasted for what you 're for and I 'm just going to side with God because we're not just talking about this life eternity so here and this is a stage when you have a corrupted conscience, you won 't come back and I told that family I said don't leave. Because if she ever decides that she's wrong and wants to get right, you will, you will be there on the right winning side. But if you compromise, and by the way, you can't, oh, this is good. You can find a church that will accommodate your belief. I, I'm going to go there. He never mentions drinking. Johnny Hunt said that if you don't tithe your God robber. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't. Didn't mean to come across like I said that. That's Malachi 3.10. God said that. He preaches against divorce. God hates divorce. Doesn't mean God won't forgive you. It's not an unpardonable sin. Let's make it clear. Somebody says, well, you may offend the ones that are divorced. That isn't my intent. It's to keep those steady that are married. See, i have to i reason with what I'm going to say. So, last of all, seared conscience. Seared, seared conscience. 1 Timothy 4.2, seared conscience. If any doctors or medical personnel here, this word comes from the medical field. The Bible says speaking lies and hypocrisy. In other words, you're not being true to yourself. Having their own, here it is, conscience, seared with a hot iron. It's a um, medical term referring to cauterization. It's, um, it's what happens in the forming of a callus. I don't know how I got these. I guess carrying my Bible. But um, you can put a pin through that callus and not even fill it. You go too deep, you'll fill it. Uh, what does it mean to have my conscience seared? It's the allowing of your conscience to become desensitized. Ephesians is six chapters. The first three chapters are doctrine. Chapters four, five, and six are duty. In chapter four and verse 19, this word is used. And here's what it says. That in your Christian life, you study it on your own. Chapter four, verse 19. If you're not careful, listen to this. You can become past feeling. Past feeling feeling here's the way you used to feel you'd go to church and the spirit of god move you couldn't sing he touched me or great is thy faithfulness without crying now past feeling It, it translates morally insensitive how did they get there not minding a good conscience what what happened they rejected a good conscience. Isn't it what the Bible says? And what happened? Shipwreck. Would, would you not call it a shipwreck if your darling daughter? And I'm not picking most likely in a crowd of a hundred men. There's some homosexuality. There's others. I mean, I'm sensitive. I have ministries for heaven's sake. I've got a ministry called Hope Quest to help people get free of all sorts of different addictions. So, so I'm not one that speaks with no concern. We invest hundreds of thousands of dollars. To help the hurting every year at Woodstock. So as you continue. Here it is. This is, And I'm wrapping it up. As you continue to sin and turn away from God. You become more apathetic about moral and spiritual things. Mom, I don't want to go to church with you. Honey, you grew up loving Pastor Johnny. Well, I, I just feel I've grown beyond him. I've, I've got a degree now from Oxford. He, he's an idiot. It speaks of losing our moral restraint. See, the Christian hope and strength is in the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. So, repeated sinning hardens the conscience and it becomes seared like scar tissue. The neglected and resisted conscience becomes more insensitive and eventually stops giving warning systems about wrongdoing. Mom, I got to be honest. When I first started sleeping with my roommate, it bothered me a lot. And I thought a lot about what y'all taught me. But mama, I've been sleeping with her two years now. And I'll just be honest. It doesn't bother me at all. I feel like if it was wrong, I, I would be aware of it. You never have to wait for the Spirit of God to make known something's wrong when the Word of God has clearly delineated that it's not right. So uh, I, uh, I did a research and study on something and uh, I'll use it to close with. Uh, almost everything I'm getting ready to share with you comes out of Mark 6. I want to illustrate um, a conscience being good And ending seared. Let me ask you a question. And um, you, you just answer it in your heart. Who did King Herod. Love to hear preach. John the Baptist. Wow. Boy John preached the kingdom. Preached repentance. He even said you think I'm strong. One day some Pharisees lined up at his baptism site. He's baptized and he gets the guy to where he looks and sees those Pharisees. And he said, hey, you claim you've repented. Bring fruit that gives evidence of your repentance. You ain't changed. Get out of line. <laughs> Shoot, I'm a, I'm a liberal compared to him. And then one day, uh, John shows up at the palace. Uh, hey, Herod, your, your wife, Herodias, she, she's not yours. Sure. She, she belongs to your brother, Philip. You're, you're living in sin. You need to give her back. Pride rises up. And can't tell me what to do. He throws him in jail. In jail. But uh, if you're John the Baptist, I'm not sure you worry when you're first thrown in jail. You know who his cousin is? (laughs) Jesus is his cousin. He's there. Study your Bibles a day. Days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. He's still in prison. Can God's best become delusioned? Uh, Can they become um, discouraged, distraught? Two disciples come to visit him and listen to what he says to them. When you see Jesus again, would you ask him, is he the one or should we wait for another? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Pause, rewind. John 129. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Man, what a profound announcement. Now he's questioning. So Herod throws a party. Herodias has a daughter. She's a teenager. She dances. Herod is taken back. He calls her to him. Listen to the detail of the Bible. Ask of me anything up to half of my kingdom now i've been to israel 18 times so here's what i'd have thought take the golan heights the galilean valley i mean so I'd have. and here's what it says her mother was not in the room so she left the room details went and found her mom said mom uh king herod just offered me after watching me dance up to half of his kingdom mother what should i request what part of the kingdom Never batted an eye. There's there's no break in the text. Uh, Request John the Baptist's head on a silver charger. Now this is a word for men. This is a a man's story. Herod was very sorrowful. Because he loved and respected John. But because the others heard him. Peer pressure. Others are watching. What will they say if I do the right thing? By the way, here's a good word. Takes a good man to change his mind. Brings him up. Removes his head. Presents it to her. Wait a minute. What did I say when I started? He liked to hear him preach. Picture this. John preached out in the uh, Judean desert. Hey, John, what under heaven? I think we better get out of here. There's going to be a dust storm. No, that's Herod and his entourage coming to the desert to hear the man of God preach. So here's what I wrote down. Undoubtedly, there was a time that Herod had a stirring Conscience. But when he put John in prison. He had a silenced conscience. And when he murdered him. He had a seared conscience. Jerry Vine said this. And this is it. There was a time in his life. If you to watch his heartbeat. For the gospel. Beep. Beep. But as he started resisting it. Beep. Beep. And there came a day. He straight-lined. Hey, let the Word of God be your guide. But as the Word of God instructs your conscience, listen to what the Word of God says. To your conscience, Father, Jesus' name, thank you for a supernatural imposition of Almighty God in installing within my humanity a conscience. Forgive me for when I sin against a probing, I grieve and quench the Holy Spirit. Father, may I become more sensitive today than ever to your probing for Christ's sake.